Live, you are looking at beautiful downtown Miami, and we are coming to you with the hottest wrestling show on planet Earth. Nitro coming your way tonight. And it is getting hotter by the minute in Miami. Get ready. You're going to love this one. I'm Eric Fischer, along with Steve Mongo, McMichael, formerly number 76 for the Chicago Bears, Super Bowl champion, Chicago Bears, that is, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and we have got a hot one for you, as I said. The WCW World Heavyweight title on the line tonight. As a nature boy, Ric Flair, 12 times World Heavyweight Champion, puts that title on the line against Sting. These two have had a lot of heated battles. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. It is January 15th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from Miami, Florida, the James L. Knight Center in front of 4,200 fans, 3,100 of whom paid for a total gate of $30,000. I am your host, as always, Tim Root, and with me is my broadcast partner, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? Doing good. I'm looking forward to another week of the uh, of the month in which WWE is giving back to the fans with all the free television. Oh, you have made them unquestionably the number one wrestling <laughs> show some weeks. and uh... <laughs> Without question, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was it. Didn't John say that they were basically like tied? Yeah, he read <laughs> out the statistics in a recent episode, and and uh, certainly without question would be <laughs> fudging it just a bit, just a tad. Without question, the most popular one on TNT. <laughs> As always, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash Twenty Years of Nitro. Uh, you can look us up on Twitter at Twenty Years of Nitro, and you can find us at piledriverwrestling.net in the Old School Wrestling Podcast Network section. And we are also proud card-carrying signatory members, <laughs> if that's even a phrase that exists. Sounds good. Of the Freakin' Awesome Network at freakinawesomenetwork.net. And hey, if you want to email the show, you jabroni marks, it's 20yearsofnitro at gmail.com. Nothing's that occurred to more than just insulting them. Yeah, and that's what I do if you email. I write back and I just say, get out of here, you mark. Come back when you've smartened up a little bit. <laughs> you pencil neck. Yeah, I, I role play that I'm Kevin Nash every email that I write. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> to start off our show this week, it seemed like our pyro was longer than normal. I don't know if that's just me making things up, but did you? No, I, I made a note of it as well that there was a lot of pyro and a lot more lights on the actual set it seemed like and the crowd was pumped uh yeah. this was a very hot crowd to come and this is actually uh the second time through the night center uh we were here way back in episode two last september oh okay yeah. so miami's a hot market and wcw is is happy to be back and uh they're they're getting a pretty big show uh we're gonna get luger versus savage for the fourth time uh, and by that i mean the fourth time since we started this podcast uh, we're also going to have the heavyweight title defended as Ric Flair takes on Sting. And uh, Bischoff tells us that Hogan is going to face a Dungeon of Doom member, and he doesn't care who it is, meaning Hogan. Right. Uh, but it was announced last week that it's Meng. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I was going to say something. I was like, didn't we talk about Meng possibly having the bear monster? Yeah, this no, this, this match was announced, uh, but Bischoff this week is making it sound like it's just any member of the Dungeon of Doom and Hogan's going to take on whoever it is. Yeah. But uh, no, this was this was a promoted match, so I'm not sure why, uh, j- other than just Bischoff kind of losing the thread as he is wont to do occasionally. Yeah. Also, I I have a bit of a bone to pick when he talks about these Luger Savage matches. Okay, they seem to they go by the story that this is the fourth time facing them, and Luger has a three match win streak. Mm-hmm. But I I went back and I went through the the Nitros and the pay per views. Yeah, since we started. And so the matches I have is that 
Uh, first time Lex Luger defeated Randy Savage by the torture rack. That's in episode five. Yep, that's the one where he deadlifted him up and yes. looked exhausted. Yes. Yep, I remember that. Uh, then Randy Savage defeated Luger with the flying elbow at Halloween Havoc. I thought he defeated him on pay-per-view. I was yes. pretty sure. Okay, I'm yeah. glad you looked it up. Okay. Um, and then we have Lex Luger defeated Randy Savage when he passed out to the armbar at World War Three. Yep. And then Lex Luger defeated World Heavyweight Champion Randy Savage by disqualification. In episode 14, when Hulk Hogan just made sure Luger didn't win and then still had a beef with him afterwards. Okay. So he clearly, I mean, like, the, during this match they have, they seem to indicate they've only faced each other three times when one of the victories is at a pay-per-view. And yeah. not only that, but it was like uh, Halloween Havoc, which seemed to be the pay-per-view they've, they're the most proud of over the last few months, too. Sure, absolutely. So, and who wouldn't be proud of that <laughs> magnificent show? <laughs> so... You know, when you, when you go back to watch this and you hear them go over and over again, I, I just I dispute their numbers. Uh, Mongo is particularly excited as there have been all the recent problems that we've recapped here between the Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen, and we are going to see those two forces collide tonight as the Taskmaster and Hugh Morris will take on uh, Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson. And then Bischoff, uh, before we go to our first match, he closes by letting us know that uh, just 40 minutes ago, uh, it was announced that Randy Macho Man Savage is going to get a title shot next week against the winner of tonight's uh, Ric Flair Sting match. Yeah, and it's regardless of who wins his match with Lex Luger. Right. Which seems kind of a disputable thing if you're Lex Luger. <laughs> um, but we, this is something we also t- talked about either last week or the week before about if we're getting too many world title matches. Yeah. And I'm starting to feel like we really are. Oh, we definitely are. And not only that, but, uh, I mean, I didn't think of this at the time, but uh, I think we've had Ric Flair versus Sting more than a few times on Nitro as well. So yes. this is this is basically like the big rerun episode of Nitro that we're getting. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Randy Savage is out first to his uh, music. He gets in the ring and pumps up the crowd. Uh, Lex Luger is out second. Uh, Sands, Jimmy Hart, who... Keenan tells us is uh, having a private meeting with Ric Flair, oh. explaining his absence. When Luger gets down to the ring, he tosses in a chair to kind of distract Savage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Savage catches it, and the ref kind of gets in to it with Savage over the chair, and then Luger nails Savage from behind. Uh, as the ref is getting rid of the chair, Luger nails him and throws him over the top rope to the floor, which would be, of course, a disqualification, except for, at least in this case, the ref didn't see it. So we've got an actual explanation. Yeah. And uh, one thing I wrote is I was impressed for the fact that Randy Savage caught that chair with one hand. Yeah, yeah, it did look pretty (laughs) nice. And also, as you have mentioned many times, within 30 seconds of the match starting, we're already out at ringside. Classic WCW. (laughs) Especially these two. Uh, So Luger rams Randy's face into the ring steps a few times. Randy tries to get back in the ring, but Lex knocks him down to the floor. Uh, And then Randy pulls Lex out and throws him into the guardrail. So... They're both now trying to get in the ring, but just preventing each other and throwing each other into the guardrail, the ring steps, etc. Savage now, it's his turn to slam Luger's face into the steps a few times, and he then throws Luger into the ring and hits his top rope double axe handle for a two count. Uh, at this point, I noticed loud Luger chants from the crowd. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. Very loud. Um, it's, it's hard to believe that Luger was over this uh, much, especially as a heel. Yeah, and especially since he he doesn't really seem to have a lot of like direction, right? So you don't really know what you're supporting when you're supporting Lex Luger. Um, another thing I I kind of noticed, I don't know if this is something that's different, but uh, when they were out of ringside, it just seemed more obvious you could see where the announcer's booth was. Oh sure, um, not even s- a a booth is generous. It's uh or it's like a it's, it's like a, a folding s- table with some monitors just thrown on it, uh, and Heenan and uh. Oh, oh, no, I'm thinking of the pay-per-view table. No, yeah, I was talking about the, the, the set. Right, they have. yes, um, yes. You can see it off to the right, and it just, I, I couldn't remember the last time when they are at ringside, it was so apparent. You're right, yeah, I don't remember seeing it in the background of shots too much. Savage uh, takes over dominating the match for a while, including hitting a very stiff-looking elbow across Luger's throat that I thought looked very painful to get. Oh, yeah. Savage then chokes uh, Lex in the ropes. Luger gets out by raking the eyes and starts kicking Savage around. But Randy uh, starts kicking back and hits a body slam on Luger. 
He goes up for the top rope elbow, but Luger manages to move out of the way. And with that, Luger locks on the torture rack, and Randy Savage's arm drops three times, and in about five minutes, Luger has picked up his fourth total win over Randy Savage, mm-hmm. uh, as, I guess making the true record three and one between these two. Uh, so why does Randy get a title shot next week? I I, I don't know. Um, I just want I want to make a note of one thing that happened during this match. Yeah. I mean I I mean the fact that we reviewed it so quickly it there, it's such a standard match. There's yeah. nothing new. They um they go out of the ring. They have they just kind of brawl a little bit. Not With those two in the ring, there's not enough move. I mean, it, most of it falls under that blanket uh, back and forth action. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot to describe move wise in a match between these two. Yeah, but um. The one thing I wanted to point out was at one at one moment, Randy Savage was laying down in the ring, and uh, Luger started going for that his patented like series of elbow drops. Yeah. Um, where he hits it once, and then Savage starts to get up, and then Luger uses his boot to kind of push him back down so he could finish it. <laughs> and I just noted that because it was a rare example of good improvisational skills by Luger. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I appreciate you giving Luger his due. <laughs> <laughs> well, because sometimes when something doesn't go quite right for him, he just he just loses right. like, all, all cognitive skills, basically. He gets lost yeah. in the ring and, very often. And, and yeah. when, I, when he did that, I was like, because I, I saw Savage getting up, I was like, oh, now he's not going to know what to do, but he figured it out. And so I was really proud of him. <laughs> Our little boys growing up. <laughs> right. And also, the fans went crazy over Luger winning. Yes. And then Luger went to the camera, and he shouted about how he should be in a title shot, and I thought he had a very good point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's he's completely right. Uh, how Macho Man gets that title shot is going to be a question that gets brought up later and in most hilarious fashion. Yes. After a commercial, we come back, and the Dungeon of Doom's music is playing. Uh, this is where we're told that we're going to get the Taskmaster and Hugh Morris versus Pillman and Arn. But instead, out comes the entire dum- Dungeon of Doom. Mm-hmm. But instead, out comes the entire Dungeon of Doom, including new member and uh, United States champion, the One Man Gang. Yeah. As we've talked before, uh, after Starcade, there was a dark match between One Man Gang and Kensuke Sasaki, which sort of featured two endings, uh, where the match was cut off partway through with One Man Gang supposedly winning but then it was restarted uh as we speculated the the version that just cuts off after he wins and is holding the belt that was shown on wcw saturday night on january 13th okay so that aired on tv so it is now within wcw continuity that he beat kensuke sasaki for the championship um now him joining the dungeon of doom has that been previously announced or is this sort of he was thrown in there i have not seen it um I mean, because I could easily buy that they just threw him in there. Right, and we'll talk a little more next week about the history of the character. Okay. And he has history with Kevin Sullivan, so it may be that they just didn't have a big announcement, but it was just sort of assumed because he has a history of being managed by the Taskmaster. Sure. Um, But we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Okay. Also coming out with the Dungeon of Doom is the entire Four Horsemen stable and Mean Gene Okerlund. Bischoff describes that scene of these guys coming out so that includes two guys who are in complete face paint, the giant, Ric Flair wearing his fancy sequined robe. Uh, uh, Bischoff describes all that as looking out of one of the Godfather movies. Yes. Yeah. Do you think he's ever seen one of the Godfather <laughs> movies? I <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of got the idea that it's like the meeting of the families to settle differences. Right. If but one I of mean, the families for... was a bunch of circus freaks, <laughs> I guess that would be. But for one thing, that would be him. That's him basically telling you that these families are going to settle their differences. Right. He doesn't know why they're meeting. I mean, I, it, it's one of those things where Eric Bischoff kind of has like a, like a half-cooked idea in his mind. Yeah. And he just goes with it. But no, <laughs> I thought it was kind of a goofy. <laughs> <laughs> and is that at one point early on, Arn Anderson admonishes Brian Pillman because he said he should have been dressed for a business meeting. Right. Meanwhile, Flair is in a bathrobe. He has a sequined robe on. The the Taskmaster <laughs> is also in a robe. Uh, the Giant, I think, is just wearing ring gear. So, yeah, it's questionable. But anyway, these two are out uh, for a little uh, meeting of the minds, and let's go to an audio clip and, and hear what they have to say to each other. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We are coming to you live from Miami. 
And coming up next, the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris of the Dungeon of Doom settle their score against Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. And this thing's been heating up for a while. Tag team action coming your way here on Nitro. Kevin Sullivan. Wait, wait a minute. Oh, I can't wait for this one. They're gonna clean up each other. Hogan's gonna walk. Wait a minute. What? Hold what? a second. What's what? I can't see. He's got Oak. He's got Oakland. I look to. What's going on here? What is like this? A, a parade? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We had a tag team match scheduled here. This looks like something out of a of a Godfather movie. This is all too chummy chummy here. There's a new United States champion, the one-man gang in there. Wait a minute. What is going on here? Arn Anderson does not look like he's ready to wrestle. Pillman, who knows? This is, all right, Gene Okerlund, let's see. Gene Okerlund is there. Let's see if we can make some sense out of this. Gentlemen, at the risk of sounding negative, what in the world is going on here tonight? We're supposed to have some tag team action. Art Anderson, you're not dressed for action. Brian Pillman, I don't even want to talk about that. And what about the, what's going on? If you're the voice of reason. I thought I told you to dress appropriately. This is a business meeting. What do we got, a four horseman dress code here? Let me explain something to you, Gene Oakland. Kevin Sullivan and I have had what you call a meeting of the minds. That's a scary Let thought. me first start off by saying, Ric Flair has always been and always will be the flagship of the horseman. He's a world heavyweight champion. We're gonna respect, honor, and protect that at all costs. That's our main focus of business, along with getting every other title there is to offer. But when some little brush fires started, doesn't agree with me, Rick, or our way of conducting business. If there's not a financial end to the means, we don't wanna be a part of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know if I totally understand. What, what about this match that was scheduled to go on here tonight? I'm saying this match or anything resembling it with these guys is just a war that they can't win, we can't win. There's no winners and losers. There's only survivors. There is no financial gain at the end. That's why I'm telling you we're going to put a kibosh on this. Wait what a the minute. devil is going on here? First of all, this is directed to you. You are probably the greatest world champion of all times. 12 times world heavyweight champion. A legacy that the New York Yankees, any professional sports, the Boston Celtics can't match. And I do respect you. I respect you so much that at the Clash of Champions, we'll let you borrow the big man. Big man champions, Big Daddy. We're gonna style and profile. Look how big that giant is. He makes a one-man gang look you smart. I've known for a long time. And sometimes I don't think you get the due you deserve. You see, you are the guiding of that belt that he holds. You really are the enforcer. And I'm gonna tell you what, I respect you and you respect me. And you're right. There isn't gonna be any winners, there won't be any losers. There's only survivors. What my problem is, this punk right here got no respect. And this punk uh -oh. gotta learn respect. He ain't horseman material. Before we misconstrue respect for fear, let's don't make any mistake and confuse the two. We're not afraid of you, and we do respect you. Do you hear that? We're the horsemen. We don't fear anybody, right, double A? Hey, oh my, oh my goodness. I told you to keep your mouth shut. I love the backbiting. Look at Benoit. kind of emotional Watch Benoit, man. Well, stop. This is a business. We're going to run it like a business. You have my word on that. If I have your word on that, that's good enough for the dungeon. And oh, by the way, do you happen to know that Hulk Hogan is wrestling a member of the Dungeon of Doom oh, tonight? He is Thank hot. you, gentlemen. Eric Bischoff, let's get oh, back to you. No. What the devil is happening here? So as you heard there, uh, Arn Anderson kind of talks, uh, and Kevin Sullivan, they both say that there's no 
no profit for either group in having a long prolonged feud Mm -hmm. uh they sort of say that neither side would win and there wouldn't be any winners or losers there would only be survivors yeah uh so they are bearing the hatchet these two groups are going to get along although sullivan still uh has some enmity for pillman who he says you know basically does not deserve to be a horseman uh arn says to that 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 Sullivan shouldn't mistake the respect that the horsemen have for the Dungeon of Doom as fear, which I thought was a very cool line. Yeah. Uh, and then when Pillman starts spouting off that the the horsemen don't fear anyone, mm-hmm. Arn slaps the shit out of him. Yes, he, he does. hits him so fucking hard. Yeah. It's a really incredible, captivating moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, well acted by both guys. Mm-hmm. Pillman does the like. A young brash like in over his head you know he's he's finally attained this dream of being a horseman yeah but his attitude is just ruining it for him and arn is like the patient you know uh tough leader enforcer but like if if pillman keeps stepping out of line like that he's at heart a violent guy and i just really thought uh, if it weren't for the Dungeon of Doom, who bring every segment they're in down a couple notches, yeah, <laughs> like this would be. I mean, it's overall just a great segment, and it mm-hmm. would be phenomenal if they were meeting with a heel group that was easier to take seriously. Yeah, no, and that's um, when I think back at at the uh, um, the development of the loose cannon character. This is one of the more icon like this, along with um, with the Paul Orndorff fiasco basically where yeah. where he gets the horseman like they have to attack him essentially um, yeah. this is one of the more iconic moments of him getting slapped and you can just see that I mean Pillman portrays like a thousand emotions in his like reaction yes. like he's embarrassed he's mad but he, he knows he there's nothing he can do about it um, he's such he's becoming such a compelling character yeah and, and at some point on the show we're gonna have to talk about what's going on backstage that's going into the loose cannon stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly when to talk about that, but sometime in the next few weeks, we're going to have to really delve into how this is developing, yeah. what the idea is. Because well, I, I think it's important to have that context so that when some things happen down the line, mm-hmm. you understand sort of the magnitude or the how how it fucks with your mind who is working who in, this, in, in yeah. all the relationships at play. Um, one thing I like to point out, uh, is that the Taskmaster was uh, talking about Ric Flair and said that his uh, his 12 championships is a legacy that the, the New York Yankees, who at that point had 20 championships, <laughs> and the Boston Celtics, who at that point had 16 championships, can't possibly match. Because <laughs> he, he brought... <laughs> I he should have used specific players. He should have <laughs> said, like, Mickey Mantle and uh, Bob <laughs> Russell, you know? Because Russell had 11 championships, right? Bill Russell? Yeah, Bill Russell, thanks. Yeah. God, thank God John wasn't here. He did really <laughs> let me have it for that. No, but I just I just thought it was funny. He's like, he said 12 championships in the Yankees. I'm like, there's no way they have less than 12 championships. And Sullivan point. is a huge Red Sox fan, so there's no way he doesn't know that. It's not like he doesn't know baseball. Yeah. He loves baseball. That's just shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the Taskmaster, as you heard, also made some sort of reference to the Giant being borrowed f- to Ric Flair for Clash of the Champions. Yes. Which uh, I know later, I know next week they they explain that. I don't know, did they mention anything before this? Do you do you know anything about them mentioning Clash? I think Clash? they've talked about some matches uh, on Saturday night, but I'm not sure what's all been promoted, and things are changing sort of on the fly. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the current promoted card is for Clash of the Champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that Sting and Lex versus the Blue Bloods is locked. Uh, the wedding. There's a wedding. The yeah. wedding is locked. <laughs> um, and Pillman versus Guerrero, I believe, has been advertised on Saturday night. And okay. seems pretty set in stone. So, uh, oh, also I want to mention that Bobby really plays up that Benoit is unhappy about that slap. They sort of uh, tease that maybe Benoit is more on Pillman's side of things, that it's kind of an older horseman versus mm-hmm. younger horseman. Yeah. Um, but Benoit doesn't really say any, you know, and he's he's a very stoic-faced guy. Yeah. So it's hard to know, but uh, I think the announcers wouldn't bring it up if there wasn't at least some plan to have that storyline maybe take place. Yeah, I, I kind of took that as, uh, you know, Benoit is the kind of guy that he knows not to step out of place. Right. He knows his role, but, like, it's the stairs like he's gonna remember that. 
Well, because you got to imagine in in kayfabe terms, if the horsemen are going out every night, Flair and Arn have been rolling together since like you know the eighties. Yeah. Uh, Pillman and Benoit naturally must be closer. So yeah, you yeah. know it, it makes sense that that Arn picking on Pillman would maybe stick in Benoit's craw the wrong way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Bischoff says that we have a standby match ready to go, and out comes Public Enemy. Uh, I think it's kind of funny because Public Enemy they're making a big debut. Uh, this is a tag team that was actually part of a bidding war between WWF and WCW. So they get debuted in a what apparently is just a standby match that is only taking place <laughs> because the Hugh Morris uh, Sullivan versus Arn and Pillman match doesn't happen. Yeah. So like Public Enemy, I guess, just would have not happened. Yeah. They wouldn't have debuted if this hadn't happened. He also said that the Public Enemy was supposed to debut a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good, because I was confused. <laughs> so, Public Enemy, a.k.a. Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge, a.k.a. Ted Petty and Michael Durham, are two wrestlers who have quite a history together. Uh, they feuded for a long time on the indie scene, uh, including a dark match that took place before the January 11th, 1993 episode of Monday Night Raw. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. The two would later land in ECW eight months after that tryout match with WWF didn't really go anywhere, and they would be teamed up uh, by Heyman as Public Enemy, a tag team of white dudes who are into hip-hop culture. Uh, Heyman says that he was inspired to develop that gimmick by a Newsweek article on ongoing cultural changes amongst young men in cities such as Los Angeles. So he read a Newsweek article and inspired created a, a tag team of white guys that like rap music. Their team was incredibly over with ECW fans. Uh, they used a lot of weapons and tables, you know, stuff that very much catered and pandered to the ECW audience. Mm-hmm. They won the ECW Tag Team Championships four times, and uh, their most notable feud was with the Gangsters, New Jack and uh, Mustafa Syed. Yep. They received a tryout match with WWF in November of 95 against the Smoking Guns and were actually offered a WWF contract but they decided instead to go with a competing offer for WCW, the uh, bidding war that I mentioned earlier. Both both federations were very interested in bringing in Public Enemy. They were meant to debut a week ago, but a snowstorm uh, prevented one of them from being able to travel. Okay. I'm not sure which. I think it was Rocco Rock. So whichever one of them was there last week had a dark match uh, before the show, but this is their actual debut on Nitro together. Okay. And and back in the day, I was also I was a big fan of Public Enemy. I I I think even then I realized that they weren't especially yeah. talented, but they play. I think they played off their character very well. And also, it was just since at the time I wasn't really watching ECW, couldn't access ECW. Yeah. Since you know that whole the whole internet thing hadn't quite exploded where you could get one of the, these days. We're gonna do a bonus episode where we do a hardcore TV because I'd love to just talk about. ECW, our history with it, what it was like for us in 96. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, so you like Public Enemy at this point, once they came into WCW? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, through magazines and stuff, I, I knew a lot of the ECW guys, and I, I liked them because it was uh, an idea that you can get, get a little bit of the ECW flavor sure. on, on the regular network. So from the very beginning, I was like, yeah, these guys, I like them. I had really barely heard of them until... I remember their match against the Acolytes in WWE that's sort of infamous for various reasons. The Public Enemy are taking on the least ECW team imaginable, the American Males. I was going to say that... It seemed like they, they teamed up with, like, the most WCW team that they could Yeah, find. it's seriously, there could be <laughs> no one who is further away from everything <laughs> ECW stood for. Right. So, uh, Public Enemy have traded in their trademark black and white pinstripe jerseys that they wore in ECW uh, for kind of an orange design. Rocco Rock has Naughty by Nature on the back of his jersey, while Johnny Grunge is going with Violent by Design. Yeah. Although Bischoff <laughs> mistakenly reads it as Violent by Decision. <laughs> That sounds so proper. (laughs) (laughs) The announcers put them over as legit tough guys from Philly, specifically singling out that Rocco Rock was a former boxer who apparently had a pretty great record and sparred with some guy who was middleweight champion of the world at some point. Yeah, I I couldn't find anything when it came to Rocco Rock's uh, boxing career. Oh, so it might be all a work. They they made it sound like he had like a couple of professional fights. 
I swear they said his record was like thirty-one and zero, but maybe it was three and zero. I I tuned. Or it maybe out. <laughs> that was the person that he was sparring with because they said it was like a former two-time champion or whatever. That could be. Or or maybe they have no idea what they're talking about. Too. Well, no matter how tough they are or how great his boxing is, uh, the American males completely clean house at yes. the beginning. Yeah. Uh, nailing him with punches, back body drops, and simultaneous clotheslines to the floor. Uh, Public Enemy pulls the males out of the ring for a brawl outside. Finally, back in the ring, Scotty Riggs uh, kind of baits Public Enemy into walking into a flying crossbody from Bagwell, which clears the ring again. <laughs> so the American males are completely dominating the debuting, supposedly very, very tough Public yeah. Enemy. Yep. The crowd chants ECW, while Bobby claims that uh, these guys are banned from going to Philadelphia Flyers, uh, Phillies, and <laughs> Eagles games. Yes. Once again, it's uh, Bobby Heenan putting over the new talent, yeah. like, as he does. And doing it hilariously. Yes. <laughs> Back in the ring once more, Riggs gets a roll-up on Grunge for a two-count, and then tags in Bagwell, who completely dominates Public Enemy. Like, it's a hot tag that's not really necessary because they haven't been building. Like, they're in control of the match, yeah. so I don't know why they get a hot tag, but Bagwell just comes in and levels uh, Public Enemy uh, he's then supposed to get a uh, O'Connor roll, which is where like a guy's on the mat with his legs in the air, and you grab his legs and then flip over him for a pin. Mm-hmm. But it gets botched terribly. Oh, yep, I I can see that in my mind. Now. And Rocco Rock comes in to to break it up like it's a pin, but they're just laying next to each other. It's not <laughs> even a pin at that point. Uh, so this this uh gives Grunge the distraction he needs to schoolboy Bagwell with a handful of tights. For a kind of out of nowhere victory in about three and a half minutes, it's a very weird match with uh, Public Enemy being talked about as tough guys, the American males dominating the hell out of them, and then a botch leading into an out of nowhere finish. Yeah, it was pretty much garbage and was essentially the opposite way that you want to have Public Enemy look in their first match. I mean, they they're going against like the pretty boy WCW guys, and they have to cheat to beat them, right. and they could barely even get any offense on them. Right, and it and they cheat even though it seems like they're baby faces. Although I guess ECW baby faces are the kind of guys who cheat anyway. I don't know. It it was all very weird. Yeah. Uh, the highlight of the match comes when it's over, though, as uh they sort of take Scotty Riggs out of the equation and then set up Bagwell on a stack of two tables they have outside the ring. Mm-hmm. Rocco Rock then goes up to the top rope and hits a very nice looking somersault plancha, uh, putting Bagwell through both of the tables. Yep. And it looked great, and that's the kind of thing that you bring in Public Enemy for. Um, so, unfortunately, the match was shit, but the spot afterward was a taste of why Public Enemy uh, can work. Especially yeah. since Sabu is gone, mm-hmm. and they don't really have a through-the-tables kind of guy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I can see where Public Enemy, if used properly, could be an asset to WCW. And uh, I was mildly surprised that they didn't reverse the decision and went with the DQ because <laughs> that happened with Sabu. That's right. And Sabu would only use one table. I mean, they should have been, like, double disqualified because of the two tables. Well, speaking of double, Bobby tells us to double our pleasure and double our fun. <laughs> <laughs> of course he does. Of course he says that. <laughs> After a commercial, it's time for our uh, requisite Nitro title match. And Sting is out first, uh, which I like because... Hogan never comes out fucking first, even if he's taken on the champ. So Sting affords the champion the respect he deserves. Yeah. Uh, and, and we also get uh, full form entrance Sting. Yes. One too. He comes <laughs> out and says to the camera, here we go again. <laughs> With his fireworks. Which, which, to be fair, is kind of how I feel watching Sting and Flair wrestle again. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they're always good, but it's just we've seen it so much. Yeah. Uh, Flair is out next with Jimmy Hart, so I guess Jimmy Hart was truly having a private meeting with Flair. You know what, uh, just thinking out loud, and again, this is one of those things the announcers have not given us any indication about, but Jimmy Hart is, you know, sort of the Dungeon of Dooms guy, Yep. and he's been sort of acting with Flair recently. Mm -hmm. That private meeting could have been setting up that sort of peace talk that we see later. Yeah, I think- That would make perfect sense. The announcers just never- yeah. What, close that gap for the audience. When you mentioned it earlier, I kind of put two and two together because I didn't remember that initial comment. But yeah, it really would, it's it's something like you said. It's something where if the announcers would just say it, 
it would make a lot more sense where it's like, okay, that's why these two were talking earlier. And that happens so much on WCW. Yeah. They, their storytelling is way more cohesive than it comes across as. Yeah. Because the announcers are failing their jobs as part of the storytellers. You know? Yeah, they, they're responsible for putting the pieces together and... In, instead of us just getting the pieces and having to kind of figure it out for ourselves. I mean, that's that's the reason why they're there. And as the executive vice president, that mostly falls on Bischoff to me because he oh, certainly yeah. is clued in as to what the storylines are. There's no... Like, later you've got Shivani, who notoriously was uninformed of things that were going to happen, so he couldn't do his job. Yeah. But Bischoff knows what the fuck is supposed to be happening. Right. He has no excuse. Mm-hmm. We get a commercial, and as we come back, Bischoff is plugging the Clash of Champions. Uh, I find it kind of funny that the promo card for this huge event, this sort of uh, minor pay-per-view, although it's a free event on TBS, the promo card only shows the wedding, uh, and that's (laughs) all they talk about is Colonel Robert Parker and Sherry. And oddly, the picture of Sherry is like no silly makeup, no weirdness. It just looks like a picture of Sherry from like... You know, like taken at her house, or I mean, she's not wearing like shorts and a t-shirt, but mm-hmm. it's just the most average looking. She's not looking scary or weird. Yeah, just you just see like, oh, Sherry's just a lady. She's just some woman. I mean, the whole the whole uh, card that they're looking at is just half-assed. Done. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So here we go with WCW World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair with Jimmy Hart against Sting. Uh, they lock up a few times to start off, and each time Sting powers Flair down to the ground. Sting flexes and does his uh, excited wooing and goes up for 10 corner punches, followed by a drop kick before he gets in a press slam. Flair is then whipped over the top turnbuckle and eats a clothesline on the apron. So there is a lot of standard Flair and Sting moments within the first, like, minute and a half of this match. Also, I was going to mention that um, sometime right before the match started, or maybe right when it started, is when Eric Bischoff announced that Sting and Lex Luger... We're going to be going next week for the tag team titles against Harlem Heat. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to kind of figure out, like, if Sting's going for a championship next week, right? how is he going to fare in this championship match? Well, and it's funny, too, because remember uh, when Sting and Luger first were announced as a team two weeks ago, they said, we're going to go get the championship belts. Mm-hmm. starting with the Blue Bloods at the Clash of the Champions. Right. Now we find out they're actually going to have a title shot before Clash of the Champions. Right. It's very... And, like, how how did they become number one contenders after never having competed as a tag team before? I mean, I guess that's how Macho Man gets to be number one contender despite losing a lot of his matches recently. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I guess this would be a good time to remind people, Macho Man has had his rematch. He lost the title, mm-hmm. but he's already had his rematch on Saturday night. So it's not that the upcoming match that we're kind of ragging on that he doesn't deserve, it's not that that's his rematch. He right. had his rematch and he lost it. Mm-hmm. He's getting a second rematch, despite the fact that he should be nowhere near the number one contender right now. Yeah. <laughs> After being suplexed back into the ring for a one count, uh, Flair rakes the eyes and gets some chops on Sting to take over. Uh, chop, 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 chop. And somewhere in the middle of, like, 20 chops, I swear that I hear Eric Bischoff tell me that I can watch Saturday night to see an interview with Jim Belushi. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. What in the fuck? (laughs) As if Ditka wasn't bad enough. Right. At least there's, like, the most tangential connection in that he coached Mongo in the NFL. Yeah. Why the fuck is Jim Belushi (laughs) going to be on WCW Saturday night in an interview? Right. Not even, like... He's a celebrity sitting uh, next to the ring, and maybe he's going to punch a guy, and it's going to be kind of funny. Sure. He's just being interviewed. Yeah. Who is less qualified to interview <laughs> him about his career in the entertainment business or his brother or whatever the fuck he's going to talk about? Right. Maybe being an untalented hack who's a stain on the Belushi name. <laughs> who is less qualified to do that than Shivani or Bischoff or whoever the fuck's going to conduct that interview? I mean, the only thing I could think of is that if Belushi had a new show on TBS – and they kind of want him to get more exposure for it? I don't know. What I, the one thing that comes to mind for me is Bischoff has always been accused of trying to use WCW as a stepping stone to get into Hollywood himself. Sure. And maybe he thought, if I start a regular interview segment on Saturday night mm-hmm. and meet some celebrities, I can network. Yeah. And I'm I'm making that up out of nowhere. I don't want to, you know, I I didn't get that from, from Meltzer or anybody. That's just total speculation on my part. Mm-hmm. Also, during the, the chopping, 
Mongo uh, has a Wahoo McDaniel reference. Which oh, I, wow. Which I thought was surprising because it suggests that he actually watched wrestling before 95, <laughs> which I was questioning for a while. Sting blocks a suplex and then nails Flair with a huge top rope superplex. Uh, Sting then goes for a jumping splash, but Flair manages to get his knees up. And uh, Randy Anderson starts the standing 10 count on both men as we go to another commercial. <laughs> this commercial includes a uh, clip for Super Brawl, which is coming up in February. Uh-huh. And as always, when we first get promos for a new uh, pay-per-view event, I like to play uh, the clip of that promotion. So let's hear that. Ass is hanging out, luckily not to camera, but the crowd is going nuts. Like, long before you can figure out why, you just hear the crowd going crazy. Yeah, I'm, I I think I remember that Mongo said that we were very lucky that the camera was not on that side. And I, for once, am completely with Mongo. <laughs> I've seen Flair's old man ass plenty of other times. <laughs> right. Oh, I. so it took me a minute to read my notes here because I was so confused. But now that I read it, I remember, for some reason at this point, uh, Sting just sort of stands up and puts one hand behind his head mm-hmm. and then thrusts his crotch at Flair like four or five times. Yeah, like Flair is begging off Sting and Sting just like does some pelvic thrusts at Yeah, him. he's just like, I'm going to sexually assault you, Ric Flair. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got out of it. <laughs> well, I guess I didn't take it to that point, but... <laughs> <laughs> He's threatening sexual violence, Dave. Yeah, okay. No, I, I, no, I could buy it. I could buy it. Luckily, instead of uh, violating Flair, he just hits him with a press slam. Flair goes to the top rope, uh, and I know that you're expecting some sort of daring top rope, high-flying luchador-inspired maneuver from Ric Flair. Right. So you are going to be shocked when I let you know that instead Sting just walks over and throws him onto the mat. <laughs> I I believe this is the moment where they said that he threw him like Harbaugh through that Hail Mary yesterday. Oh, Michigan uh, must have played, huh? <laughs> no, no. I, at this point, uh, Jim Harbaugh was playing for the Colts. Oh, wow. Uh, so the the day before, Jim Harbaugh was in a playoff game with against the Steelers. Oh, okay. He threw a Hail Mary that was incomplete, and that it was like the last moment, and the Steelers ended up winning and going to the Super Bowl. But... Uh, they were remarking about how it was such a beautiful Hail Mary pass that he threw, <laughs> but it was incomplete. Oh, maybe it went a long way? I don't know. It all, it just it was also kind of a weird thing because Jim Harbaugh, who now has been like a head coach for ten years, yeah. was a quarterback back at this point. So it's like gives you gives you a point of reference for how long ago twenty years is. Seriously. Uh Flair gets back to his feet and hits Sting with some chops, but Sting no sells him. Jimmy Hart is now up on the apron, and uh, Lex Luger comes running down to the ring. Oh, this this should be good. <laughs> and he jumps up on the ring as well, and he's trying to get uh, Jimmy to stop yelling through his megaphone. He actually then pulls the megaphone away from Jimmy Hart, mm-hmm. and the violent uh, pulling goes so far that he ends up holding the megaphone in the corner where Sting is at the same time running to hit a stinger splash on Flair. Yeah. The end result being that Sting hits his head on the megaphone, uh, knocks himself out, and Flair then locks on the figure four, and the ref counts one, two, three, because Sting is just laying there unconscious with his mm-hmm. shoulders on the mat. I-, I would say considering all the moving parts that were involved, that that was executed really well, actually. It, yeah, it did not go that bad. Yeah. Um. The only thing I would say is that normally Stinger Splash, like his head's on the opposite side as the, where Luger was standing. Mm-hmm. But at least where the camera angle is, it looks conceivable that he could have hit his head on it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you don't really see the contact, but it, it it's not badly missed. It looks like it. It makes sense when you see it. I. It's also there's the Lex Luger curve too, where right, where if the timing is like relatively good. If Luger's involved, that's mission accomplished, everyone. Flair keeps the hold locked in after the bell is rung, so Luger kind of goes and pulls him off Sting because, you know, he's Sting's buddy. Uh, out come Hogan and Savage, mm-hmm. and Flair and Luger both just sort of powder off. <laughs> so let's get an audio clip. Powder off. <laughs> we then get uh, Hogan, Sting, and Macho Man uh, in the ring, and Macho and Hogan are trying to lay it out to the stinger that he cannot trust Lex Luger. Oh, and let's God. hear some audio of uh, what that sounds like. Gentlemen, I thank you very much. Uh, Sting back on his feet, but I cannot believe what just happened here. If anybody would know what Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger are capable of, these two men would. 
the Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan with the big week ahead of us. How are we going to sort all of this out? Well, you know something, brother? Hopefully now, Stinger, something happened. Maybe the sense got knocked into you, brother. A couple weeks ago, man, look at me when I'm talking to you. He held you down when you were trying to climb in the ring. You had your title shot. Luger pulled it away from you. Tonight, brother, you could have been the WCW Heavyweight Champion. And once again, your good friend Luger, where's the belt, brother? I'll make it, I'll make it sweeter than that. I told you from day one, you couldn't trust Luger. Brother, you're dying by it, man. Wake up! You understand that? Wake up, man. All right, uh, the Macho Man's emotions running very high state. Uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, Lex Luger is the reason you lost that match tonight, brother. Tonight? Lex Luger knocked you out, man. Tonight, Luger? Tonight, Luger knocked you out. Do you remember what happened at All Sting? We've no. got it on videotape. We you said Luger did this? Luger did it, brother. Did it, Luger brother. did it. Well, I'm going to go get Luger in here for the horse's mouth then. I want to know for sure. All right, Sting is going to uh, confront Luger with all of this. But in the meantime, Hulk Hogan, next week is a big one in Las Vegas for World Championship Wrestling. You know something, man? This isn't the only problem we get out here, brother. You know something? The clash of the champions, Macho Man, with a secret weapon, with a giant man, with Ric Flair, brother. We're going to take him apart. But the thing is, man, you and I got a problem, man. Yeah, oh really, you and I got a problem. What's the problem? I've been on one heck of a roll lately. And as of tonight, this is the fourth time that Lex Luger has beaten you. And I say the belt, the WCW title that has my name Hulk Hogan on it should be my title shot next week. But tonight, you pulled a fast one on everybody, brother. You had it signed on the dotted line before we got here. Listen, brother, you couldn't be more wrong, and I'm going to give you a chance to back up right now. But don't push me against the wall because I'll come back like an explosion that you've never seen before. You know me better than anybody. We've been to hell and back 12 times, brother. My name is not Nick Bockwinkle. They gave me the title shot because I deserve the title shot. And what happened tonight against Lex Luger? Yeah, I got beat, okay? But I'll tell you, it's in the cards right now for me to get another shot at the WCW World Heavyweight title in Las Vegas, Buddy at Nitro, and I'm going to take that shot. All I'm saying is we're one and the same, man. We're on a roll. I got a better chance. I got the momentum, brother. Your arm looks to me like it ain't 100%. Luger beat you tonight. Now what do you got to say? It should be my title shot. I'm 100%. See you in Las Vegas. See you at the class of the champions, and I'm out of here. Later. Hey, man, you can't walk away like that. You and I got to date the clash. You're my friend. All right, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, exiting the Knight Center here in Miami. He is followed by Hulk Hogan. And coming up a week from tomorrow night at the Clash of Champions, it's going to be Hogan and Savage against the Giant and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Eric, Bobby Heenan, Mongo, let's get back to you, gentlemen. One thing to point out is right towards the beginning, uh, Macho and Sting start trying to do that thing where they fucking block the camera shot. Uh-huh. And someone must have told Hogan about how that's a constant problem because he shoves them <laughs> to where they're supposed to be yeah. and says, look at me while I'm talking to you, uh-huh. which, like, they were already looking at him, but, like, it kind of explains why he's shoving them. Yeah. It's a rare uh, moment where you see, like, Hogan's the smartest guy in the ring at the moment. Uh-huh. Like, he's he's trying to put him in their place and give a, like, kayfabe a reason why he's doing it. Yeah. Just... <laughs> What I like is that somehow telling uh, Sting all about Luger really becomes about how Hogan deserves Savage's title shot. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, the reason they're there is to tell Sting uh, that he can't trust Luger and what happened in the match, but that is quickly forgotten so that Hogan can just berate Macho Man for daring to accept a title yeah. shot. I guess Macho Man was supposed to say to, like, the championship committee, no thanks, Hogan deserves it more than I do. Right. <laughs> Hogan also uh, implies that, or he doesn't imply, he outright states that the way Savage got the title shot was just by signing up before anyone else got there, which makes it sound like title shots in WCW are just posted on the wall, like fucking... Yeah, or, <laughs> or, or suggesting that, like, 
well, I mean, if Hogan was in the building at that time, which he's not because he shows up late, if he was there, he w- obviously he would have gotten the title shot. Right, but then, like, so if Alex Wright had walked by 10 minutes earlier, could right. he have had the title shot? Could could Bunkhouse Buck, if you weren't <laughs> sleeping off a hangover in the <laughs> locker room, could could he get a title shot? And, uh, <laughs> and not only that, I mean, like, it's one thing that Hogan, once again, is mad because he's not getting a title shot, and he... And he, he's mad at Savage, but, I mean, he, essentially he's mad because Savage is one game the title shot, which could have been fine. But then he starts ripping on Randy Savage for losing to Lex Luger. And he's like, I have all the momentum. You, you're kind of, you kind of, you're not doing so well. So if you think about it, I should be the one getting the title shot. So he's just, for, for, for no reason whatsoever, since he knows it's not going to change the fact yeah. he gets a title shot. But he just like rips on his friend, and and just complains. And it's such a, it's there's things about Hulk Hogan's character that are that seem weird to me. Yeah. When you think about it's it's supposed to be kayfabe. Right. You know, if he if he was like, if the story was Hulk Hogan wanted to come out and like legitimately complain that they're not booking him as like the number one contender, that makes more sense. Right. Than like. Why why make your character just co- come out just to complain? Right. Unless, I mean, the only thing I could think of is that in Hulk Hogan's mind, the fans are all about, like, when does Hogan get his next title shot? Right, exactly. And everyone must be on the same page as him. But Whereas I don't think the fans, most of them, want either of these guys to have title shots. <laughs> right, exactly. According to what I'm hearing, they want Lex Luger to have a title shot, mm-hmm. which maybe that's not who I would go with, but... Hey, the fans have spoken. They're chanting Luger's name. Yeah, you know. And also, I think the fans are also happy with Flair being champion. I would agree with that because they. I mean, he got like a pretty big ovation when he won the belt. And regardless of what the storylines are are doing, like when they go to like the um, like the southeast in the southeast region, like the fans are crazy about Ric Flair. Absolutely. The last thing I want to say on that segment is that in his uh in his rebuttal to Hogan, Savage points out that his name is not Nick Bockwinkle. And that is the first sign we've had in weeks that uh, in storyline terms, Bockwinkle is apparently has some authority within WCW. Mm-hmm. Cause we've, we've really heard about the championship committee so many times. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if Savage is just misspeaking or forgetting that that's not a storyline thing anymore uh, or what, but, but I was just sort of taken aback when I heard that name because uh, it it seemed like they had phased out the idea of Bachwinkle as the commissioner. Yeah, and and also I think I think for Savage it's like it's a good defense. It's like, hey, if you're mad that I'm getting the towel shot, I'm not the one you argue with. Right. You argue with Nick Bachwinkle Championship Committee because they're the ones that made that decision. Why wouldn't I take this title uh, shot? Of course, exactly. Or why would I hesitate and wonder? It's like, hmm, I wonder if Hulk Hogan wants his title shot instead because he deserves it a lot more than I do. Next up is a commercial, and as we come back, Meng is out to his uh, theme music, which is notably not the Dungeon of Doom's music. He's the only guy in the Dungeon of Doom that has his own unique music. It's kind of this Asian-inspired flute number. Mm -hmm. Uh, He does not have the bear monster helmet on. He has his uh, hooded mask on again, his his cape with mask. (laughs) Right. Uh... They come out and they sort of beat up a ringside photographer so that we know that they're evil. Uh, Hogan comes out and, you know, normal Hogan, American made, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't really have a lot to say about this match because, like, for this match, Meng basically just chokes, punches, and squeezes Hogan for, like, four minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, at one point, the announcers start yelling that Meng has the golden spike and is hitting Hogan with it, but he doesn't. Uh, because the golden spike is a big part of the finish that comes, so he yeah. does not. The announcers are just <laughs> yelling, "No, he's just hitting him. He does not have the spike, you fuckers." Uh, so what what ends up happening is is Meng dominates for like I said a few minutes. Eventually, he misses a flying headbutt, which allows Hogan to Hulk up, hit the big boot. Uh, just as he hits the big boot, Sullivan hops up under the apron with the golden spike. Randy uh, Savage runs down to stop uh, Sullivan, which is notable because he was really pissed at Hogan like three minutes earlier. But I guess he's going to try to save the day. 
Uh, he's completely unsuccessful uh-huh. in stopping. Sullivan <laughs> just like shoves him off with a kick and makes <laughs> him look so useless. And if I was Randy and they said, hey, you were just arguing with Hogan three minutes ago, but now you're going to run out to save him in his match, only you're going to fail spectacularly and he's going to have to save himself. I would tell him to fuck off. There's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, Hogan takes matters into his own hands. He pulls the spike away from Sullivan, jabs Meng with it, and gets the one, two, three. So Hogan, despite his best friend failing to help him, mm-hmm. uh, wins anyway, doesn't yeah. really break a sweat. Uh, it, it It's kind of a bullshit match. Yeah. Oh, also, right before, um, I think maybe at the end of the promo that was going on, they announced that it's Hogan and Savage versus Flair and the Giant at Clash of the Champions. Good to know. Um, but other than that, I Ming versus Hulk Hogan, there's nothing to say about, there's there's nothing to really analyze when it comes to their wrestling matches. So I basically wrote Hulk Hogan cheated and won. <laughs> uh, Bischoff says during the replays that we should collect our thoughts thanks to their sponsor, 1-800-CALL-COLLECT, which is way too many numbers for real number. It's, <laughs> it's just 1-800-COLLECT. I'm sure the sponsor's real happy about that. Uh, I was watching this. I've watched it a couple times, the the episode, and once I was watching it in bed and so my wife could sleep, I had the closed, captionings on, closed caption on. Uh-huh. So I happened to notice that during one replay when Mongo is saying he's laughing about the spike and he says he sheathed it in his pants because Hogan put it back in Meng's pants. Yeah. Uh, what this gets turned into in the closed captioning is Hogan, <laughs> Hogan shitted in his pants. <laughs> Shit. Which is hilarious because <laughs> the closed captioning uh, on, on the network, they will censor the closed captioning even when the audio is uncensored. <laughs> so if a guy says ass on the show and you can hear him say ass, uh-huh. the closed captioning will still just have three asterisks. Oh. So on this show, when no one is swearing, <laughs> it says that Hogan shitted his pants. They added a swear into that. God, so funny. <laughs> I'm so happy I had it on. The closed captioning is always really bad because whoever did it clearly isn't a fan. So they like misspell names and moves and yeah. just like break things into three words because they didn't hear it right. No one proofread what they were doing. Was this done by the, uh, by the German kid? The German <laughs> yes. <author? laughs> yes. Uh, clearly, you can see during the replay that Meng is talking to Hogan through the pin, just like very conversationally. <laughs> the announcers sort of babble on to end the show as we see Hogan and Savage celebrate in the background as we go off the air. <laughs> so they're friends again for now. <laughs> In our Raw recap, Owen Hart defeated Marty Jannetty. The ringmaster made his in-ring debut, uh, and I've got a guessing game for you here. Who do you think Steve Austin faced in his WWF in-ring debut? In his in-ring debut. I'll give you a few clues. Okay. This person uh, in 1996 was a nobody that you would have never heard of. Okay. But in, in 2015, I guarantee that you've heard of this person you you're well aware of who this person is. They're they're a, a, still a big name in wrestling even to this day. Okay. Um. Boy. Um. I'm gonna feel dumb not knowing that. All right. The ringmaster made his WWF in-ring debut, fighting a very young jobber by the name of Matt Hardy. Oh. So he won, right? <laughs> yes. The <laughs> ringmaster defeated Matt Hardy. Okay. The Smoking Guns defeated some jobbers. Uh, there was another Billionaire Ted skit. And The Undertaker defeated Isaac Yankum DDS. <laughs> In the ratings, uh, you ready for this? Nitro with a 3.5 wow. to Raw's 2.4. Whoa. Uh, easily the biggest rating that Nitro has gotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bigger than any of the ratings that Raw has gotten since we've started covering Nitro. Wow. Since Nitro has debuted, essentially. Uh, and also the biggest margin of victory for either organization with a full point victory. So that is gigantic. Yikes. It was so big that Bischoff called McMahon who refused to take the call. So Bischoff told McMahon's secretary uh, to tell Vince to keep up the Billionaire Ted skits because obviously they were working. <laughs> so that is spiteful, uh, but hilarious. Like, that's that's 1996 Bischoff all yeah. over. Uh, very hilarious. I, I think that's kind of awesome, actually. And kind of notable, uh, Bischoff in this show didn't go after WWF at all. 
He doesn't say anything about it. No, and that's a coming the week after the first Billionaire Ted skit. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. He's he's decided to take a more subtle approach, I, uh, apparently. Well, well, for now. For now, for, <laughs> for sure. Now. And it is it might be because WCW is threatening some lawsuits as regards to those skits, specifically in their claim that WCW doesn't have a real steroid testing policy. Oh, sure. Um, so they're th- so that might be the reason they don't want to compromise any legal action. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In other WWF news, Sabu changed his mind repeatedly about joining the Rubble, Royal Rumble. Uh, that's coming up. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, he was going to be able to do it on a one-time basis. Mm-hmm. Um, he he. WWF had even said on the WWF hotline that Sabu from ECW would be in the Royal Rumble match. Okay. Uh, but it ultimately would not come to fruition. Just thought that was kind of interesting following what Sabu has been up to since leaving. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, seeing how it kind of ended in WCW where he just kind of like left. I If you're WWF, you have to be like, you have to make sure he's pretty signed up. Right. For, before making any sort of like announcements. Yeah, but. I guess Heyman uh, talked him out of it, and Heyman had also cut some promos in front of ECW crowds, sort of impl- saying like Sabu had been contacted by WWF, but he was too ECW to do it, mm-hmm. and that was before Sabu had really made up his mind. So it was set up so that if he did it, he would look like a turncoat. Okay. So that's <laughs> Heyman masterfully, you yeah. know, playing politics with the crowd and being. An asshole, like a brilliant asshole. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, in 96, I mean, this is around the time when, the, when like, Heyman kind of made a lot of his name for, like, doing those sort of shoot right shoot comments. So that's really not surprising that he's like, I'll just put it out. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it to the press. I'll bring it to the fans. Exactly. <laughs> he, yeah, it's a propaganda war, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I feel like it's real slim pickings this week, but who is your MVP? Uh, my MVP this this week, I went with Arn Anderson. Okay. Um, I thought that he made a very convincing argument as to why the Horsemen and Dungeon of Doom won't fight each other. It, I mean, it just really makes sense if they're both like kind of doing and have like the same goals and all that. And there, it's like what he say is no financial gain. Yep. Um, and also for slapping the shit out of Brian Pillman, which <laughs> is like consider, considering. Uh, how his offense sometimes gets no sold by guys like Hogan. <laughs> that was like the be- the best sold offense from Art Anderson in like the last month. You make a compelling case, and that makes my MVP sound very shallow. Because <laughs> I went with Rocco Rock because he did that cool thing through two tables. That's it. <laughs> no, that that's a good one too. I mean, <laughs> you could undercut that whole argument by saying his match sucked balls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm gonna go with that. The coolest thing that happened in this episode either is the slap to Pillman mm-hmm. or is the uh, somersault plancha through two tables. Yeah. I went with the somersault plancha through two tables. Yeah, and I th- and really, uh, when you kind of look back at, like, the very little they end, up, they end up doing with Public Enemy, I think this that particular moment is, like, the only standout thing they did. So. Right. Uh, what was your match of the night? Uh, it also kind of felt like slim pickings, but I went with uh, Ric Flair versus Sting, you know. I mean, they both they both like for matches against each other. They usually put up a good show. It's it. There's nothing about it that was like it's gonna stand out in like the history of their matches. Or but right, there really wasn't anything else that could compete against it. Yeah, I also went with Ric Flair versus Sting. These guys could have a watchable match while asleep at this point. Right. I mean, they they can go on autopilot and it's still watchable and good. Mm. It's just I don't need to see it anymore. By 1996, yeah. but but I can't. It's not like this was a bad match or anything like that. They still deserve praise for um, bringing out the best in each other. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say about this episode? I thought it was uh, not good. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I didn't think it was very good, but it does have a few what I felt to be really kind of iconic moments. Yes. Like the like the public enemy putting someone through those two tables is an iconic moment. Uh, Pillman getting slapped is one. Um, I I remember at the time that the whole the megaphone hitting Sting seemed like it was a big deal that kind of like lingered for a little while. Yeah. Um. So there was like there was these really big moments that that are can be remembered in the early history of Nitro. But other than that, there's no substance to this <laughs> this show. 
there's no match that's really worth watching again. Well, I think that's going to do it. Uh, we continue to build towards our Clash of the Champions coming up. This seems like probably as good a time to any uh, to announce that we are actually going to cover Clash of the Champions Hooray. as a little bonus episode. Next week, you guys will get two episodes. As always, on Friday will be the regular 20 Years of Nitro, uh, covering that week's Nitro, the, the 22nd. And then we're also going to get the following day, we will release our bonus episode covering the Clash of the Champions. So you will not need to worry about missing what's going to happen in that huge wedding <laughs> between the Colonel Robert Parker and Sensual Sherry. And as I think you'll kind of notice once when you go through those episodes, like those, those Clash of Champions and that Nitro are kind of bookends for each other anyway. Absolutely. So if you didn't do, if we didn't do the Clash of Champions, it feels like we're kind of telling half the story of that Nitro that week. All right. So we look forward to talking to you twice next week here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. I think there's going to be some backbite there because the four horsemen want to take out Hogan. The Dungeon of Doom wants to take out Hogan. Who's going to get it? We're going to find out here tonight. Of course, looming large, and I mean looming very large, is the Giant. One of the most devastating forms of life in this sport. In any sport. Is he alive or did Kevin Sullivan bring him back from the dead?